welcome to the Jambase Podcast. I'm Scott Bernstein, and co-hosting with me is Andy Kong. Hey, everyone. Jambase is a partner of Osiris Media, the podcast network for music. This episode features Andy's interview with Mark and DJ of Krungman, which we'll hear in just a minute. That's right, Scotty. I had a great time talking to Mark and DJ about their album, Mordecai Remixes, which comes out tomorrow. But let's start by having you tell us about your experience seeing Fish in Alpharetta, Georgia last weekend. The band is currently on their summer tour, which we're recording this on Wednesday, so they'll play their second show in Nashville tonight. Scotty, let's let's start generally. Um, how was it seeing Fish for the first time in, I don't know, however long it was for you? Well, yeah, I, I hadn't seen them since New Year's Eve 2019, so it was quite a long time. And what was most surprising to me was just how normal of an experience it was. Um, it didn't, I, I, I certainly, it didn't feel like Hampton where it had been five years or mm-hmm. or even like at the Garden when they came back from the hiatus. Right. It, it, it felt pretty normal. And I'll, I'll tell you the... Um, the, the the points where I had the most goosebumps were when they started Reba and Tweezer, um, the mm-hmm. two, two songs that I was most excited to see over the course of the weekend. Those were really the moments that it hit me most. Um, and it just felt damn good to to be there and to experience live music. And I thought both shows were really well played, um, had it all from improv to great song selection um, to the band playing well for the most part. I mean, there were a couple of times in the first set of the second night where they seemed a little off, but that's certainly to be expected after such a long break. Yeah. You know, after the first night, I think I told Nate, our coworker, that they sounded like a really well-rehearsed band that hadn't played together in 18 months. Um, And at times I think that over tour, they're still showing a little bit of that rust. Um, But nonetheless, the the improvisation has been incredible so far this tour. I just did not expect that we'd get three jams over 20 minutes, the second, third and fourth show of the tour. And I mean, the the Sunday show to have tweezer span over 33 minutes um, was just incredible. And what was particularly fascinating was how different the jamming was in the 20 plus minute chalk dust on Saturday and the 30 plus minute tweezer on, um, on Sunday. I felt like chalk dust was more of like them jamming on one progression for a long time, Mm -hmm. patiently and really, working it out. Whereas Tweezer, they covered all sorts of ground, explored many different jam spaces and, um, and kept it interesting the whole time. I Mm -hmm. mean, there, it was not a noodly affair. It was, they were that, that whole Tweezer was incredibly strong. And one of my favorite parts of it was there was this bit where Trey was using this this new synth out guitar effect that he has that that's so cool and so un Trey like. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, he hit upon this riff that sounded like Tell Me Something Good, the uh, 70s classic by Shaka Khan and Rufus. So let's hear some of that now.
Yeah, and you know, Scotty, as we heard in that clip, uh, drummer John Fishman has been using samples that he triggers from an electronic drum pad. Um, they seem to be, you know, not not everybody uh, is as enthusiastic about them uh, now that we're several shows into tour. How do you feel about Fish's samples? Uh, look, I'm for anything they want to do. Uh, one thing I've learned in the 27 years or whatever it's been that I've seen seen Fish is that it's not going to be around forever. Um, this is just like a, a thing for for this tour perhaps maybe this year we'll see mm-hmm. but i bet in a year from now or a couple of years from now people are going to be saying oh man i wish fishman still triggered those samples and so yeah i, I don't know it. if i'll be one of those people though scotty okay fair enough <laughs> fair enough you, you look it, it uh, comes off a little bit at this point to me i think it feels a little bit like a like a joke that's been taken too far yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's, it was kind of funny and cool the first couple of times, but now it's like, is it really going to show up in every, in the middle of every jam? Um, and at times it does work better than others. I'll admit, like sometimes it's like, yeah, sounds great. And it's like, you know, other times it just seems like it's a, a goofy gimmick that ha- has kind of lost its humor a, a little bit over time. I get that. And it reminds me of interviews that they've done over the years where they talk about how sometimes things are funny to them that Mm -hmm. might not be to the audience. Definitely. Definitely. There's certainly some sort of inside joke going on. I mean, it sounds like they're the samples are some of the other band members too. You know, I mean, it's it's not even clear what they are, but it does sound like it's like Trey laughing and Mike making some of the sounds too. Um, so, so it does seem like there's something internal going on there for sure. Yeah, and sometimes Trey seems psyched about it. And sometimes yeah. he seems like you were just describing that <laughs> yeah, it's a right? joke that's gone too far. Scotty, I also wanted to ask you, you know, before the band started tour, they issued a statement about COVID protocols and they, they encouraged fans to be vaccinated ahead of time and fans, even if they are vaccinated, to wear masks. What was your experience as far as, you know, seeing a show? It, during the pandemic, we're still in the midst of it. The Delta variants raging. Um, how, how was your experience as it related to that? Um, it didn't come to mind that often, and uh, I'm happy for that. Um, sure, it just wasn't the first thing on my mind. I was surprised at how few people wore masks. Um, I wore one coming in and, and going out, um, but when I got to my seat, I, I didn't wear it. Um, and, uh, you know, it was a hundred degrees that first day. Right, right. I, I would have passed out had I been wearing the mask. Um, but then again, I, I don't have kids at home that I could potentially be bringing back the, uh, the virus to, um, yeah. so yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I did my best not to overthink that, um, these are probably going to be the only shows that I see this tour. Um, and I just wanted to, you know, make the most of it for, for what it was. Definitely. Um, and, and as the tour progresses, you can keep track of what's going on with the new, the fish skinny hub at jam base. Um, we're really proud of that. It's, it's a place that you can see all the set lists and some of the statistics from the shows. Um, dating back uh, all the way to 2015. Um, we're really proud of how it's turned out and we're excited about it as it's going to continue to grow with new information as more shows get added over the, over the course of the summer and the fall. 
Um, so definitely check out jambase.com slash skinny to, to see what's going down fish tour for the rest of the summer. And now let's get to my interview with Mark and DJ from Krungbin. I'm here with Mark and DJ. Guys, can you introduce yourself so that the people listening know who is who? I've, I've realized you got to do that on podcasts. Uh, this is DJ from Crunkbin. And you, you're the drummer? Yes, I play drums. And this is Marco from Crunkbin. I play guitar. Awesome. Well, thank you guys again so much for joining me. Um, your record, Mordecai Remixes, comes out on August 6th on Dead Oceans. Um, when did you guys come up with the idea or, or sort of the concept to do a full album remix? Hmm. Good cue. I mean, we always like to, you've been around like the remix thing for a long time. You know, it's almost mm-hmm. like, it's just something that you, it, it's expected. You get, you got to do it, you know, uh-huh. ever since people were starting to mess around with this stuff in the, late sixties, early seventies with dub music essentially is what remixing came from, you know? Um, and I've always wanted to like, you know, as, as a record collector, I like getting the remixes and stuff. And I wanted to put, put out remixes of everything we do and like recontextualize it. And it gets, it gets our music into uh, the hands of other people, uh, that may or may not be, you know, aware. Um, I mean, our very first, you know, um, audience, was house heads in the uk you mm-hmm. know they used to play our music um at the end of the night you know coming yeah. down or whatever yeah, no uh, so it's like so this is almost like kind of a love letter to you know to that scene and do you think there was something about mordecai that lent itself to being fully remixed as opposed to just doing one or two of the tracks from the record yeah i think um i think once you start going down the path and you're going to do one, you kind of want to hear what would happen with all of them if they were recontextualized. And, and um, I, I know as we, uh, we selected the remixers that we wanted to work with, we, we just picked people that we liked, like what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, hey, what would it sound like if this person took these stems and ran it through their filter? You know, what would that sound like? And uh, I think we came up with some pretty amazing results. Um, some things that we never expected to hear back. It's amazing as they started to all kind of roll in back to back. When you were picking the people to do the remixes, were you given, did they get a song that you selected for them? Or was there a dialogue between them about what song they would remix? Uh, some of them were able to pick which songs they want to do. And some yeah. of them had to, unfortunately pick from you know what was left over right yeah eventually there's only a few choices right mm-hmm. 
Well, yeah, I mean, even even early on, um, I know the the knowledge cut that was remixed. Mm-hmm. Um, we specifically wanted him to approach uh, Dearest Alfred because he had uh, prior to that he had remixed White Gloves on his own, right. and uh, kind of went all over Instagram and the internet, and everyone was sending it to us. I'm like, man, knowledge remixed uh, White Gloves, and um, Dearest Alfred is kind of the white gloves of uh, the Mordecai record. So it's like, mm-hmm. we just figured it was a natural fit. And did you have conversations with each of the remixers about what you were looking for? Or do you just give it to them and, and say, run with it? Is, is sort of the selection of them, does that kind of explain what you sort of speak for itself as to what you're looking for? I think yeah, so. Yeah, we yeah. try not to like be too involved in, uh, in the remix process. Mm-hmm. Is there ever a time that you say not to do something? Like, was there ever, was, were there things that you said that they couldn't do? No, I mean, it, remixing is pretty much just left up to the interpretation of the remixer. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, the song is already, you know, what it is, um, you know, and just taking it, running it through your filter and seeing what comes out on the other side. And when you get the remixes, then is there, do you just accept it? Is there kind of a, a pre, uh, a, a, a going into it and a, a, do you know that you're going to just accept what they give you? Um, or is there ever like sort of a, hey, can you tweak this or make it longer, make it shorter, that type of thing? Yeah, more or less. There's a, there's some, I know with maybe a few of them, we tweak just a few things. Um, with stuff like that. Um, and I know one in particular, we got like three different options to choose from. Oh, okay. Uh, so, <laughs> and you know, that that's was what tough. I was going to ask too. Like, is it always just sort of one submission or do they, do they give you different options too? Yeah. I mean, everybody, every remixer kind of approaches it differently, but, um, but yeah, we, you know, we got three different options for one of the songs and uh, we had to carefully, and it was a, it was a tough call because they were all three of them were very good, but um, we kind of put our heads together and made a collective decision to go forth with um, the one that we ended up with on the package. Maybe some uh, future bonus tracks or something. Possibly. Yeah, possibly. Um, Mark, you mentioned before you want to, you know, you like the idea of sort of the throwback to the 12 inch singles and, and you wanted to, mm-hmm you know, you want all of your songs to come out that way. Um, I was actually at a record store the other day and I was looking through your set of records and I pulled up these unlabeled records that said that they were remixes and I thought they were bootlegs. Uh, and, and so I didn't, I didn't buy them. And then like literally three days later, I got the press release from, from your publicist that explained what you guys were doing. And I, I, I haven't gotten a chance to get back down and, and, and buy them. Um, but w- where did you come up with that idea? How did you decide to do that sort of stealth release of those, those 12 inch singles? I mean, literally wanted the uh, record buying public to have the exact same experience you did is show up <laughs> see these things that say you know krungman on them and be like the heck is this like what's what's going on you know yeah 
um, what I want that reaction, but also like, you know, paying tribute to, um, to DJs. It's like the whole 12 inch format thing, uh, is like, those were initially made specifically for a DJ to put on, um, for the dance floor. You know, they're, mm -hmm. they're meant to be longer than the normal track, uh, yeah. a cut, like, you know, cut a little bit louder, um, higher fidelity, mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, when I was going to go record shopping a lot in the before time, um, and I'd go into the 12 inch single section, be like, Oh man, there's this, this, there's this, there's this, you know, a yeah. lot of regular folks probably won't buy those because they're obviously not for most collectors. They're for the DJs, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, which I thought was funny when everyone's like clamoring over each other to get these 12 inches. Like that's actually, they're not, they're not for you. <laughs> they're for DJs. <laughs> yeah. Um, and if you wait a little while, maybe there's going to be a, you know, package to come out that actually has them all together. Um, oh, cool. In a much more convenient, you know, way of listening. Um, but those 12 inch records are not, you know, he's like, what I don't like about them is like, and it's just one song and I have to flip it over. It's like, it's literally for the DJ. <laughs> That's what, what it is. It's to be followed um, by another one and then another one exactly. and another one. Yeah. You know, uh, I thought tools. it was really, I thought it was really cool. I've, I felt silly afterwards, um, but I've been burned enough buying bootleg records that sound like shit. So I thought I, I was mistaken, but sure. I'm, I'm going to try and, and again, I'm also not a DJ. So maybe it's a good thing. I left it for, for a real DJ. I mean, anybody can start. True. True. And you got to start yeah. somewhere, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. might, might as well start with your favorite band. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Um, in in the press materials, you guys mentioned that there's a, a vulnerability to put you know putting your record your music in the hands of a remixer. Um, do you, I understand that aspect, but do you also have to not be protective? Is there is there a sense of like, yeah, you're going to be vulnerable, but you're also letting someone else take your art and do something with it that you don't have control of anymore? I yeah, mean, I think I think the vulnerability yeah. part comes in. Um, essentially, when you hand over stems, you're handing over like an X-ray. Yeah. To you know, so it's like you know, here's everything I did. Here's all my little mistakes that you don't hear because everything's mixed together. But yeah, when you solo it, you know, you can hear, you know, all of the little imperfections, you know, that ultimately make it what it is. Uh, yeah, so luckily, Kringman doesn't have any mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is perfect. Yes. Well, perfect. It's all been rigidly edited and quantized and auto-tuned, you know, for a Kringman. <laughs> you know Steely yeah, Dan production. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I know personally, you know, being a drummer, like handing over stems, like, you know, if you were to take just the raw drum tracks and probably line them up to a grid, it's not going to happen because it wasn't recorded to a click track. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm human. Thank I God. speed up. Yeah, no, I mean, that's <laughs> what makes you vibe, right? I mean, that's the whole thing. Right, right. But, you know, naturally I speed up, I slow down, mm -hmm. uh, you know, so, um, but yeah, I mean, it's like a, it's a, it's a bit of a vulnerable moment handing those things over, but, but you don't get the beautiful thing that, you know, that came out of it if you don't do that. 
it reminds me of the song exploder with Ty Dolla Sign on Netflix. Uh, they were playing one of his stems and he was like, how'd you get my stems? And uh, he didn't even know how they had gotten his stems. And so the idea of giving out, I, I understand that the idea of giving out your stems is something um, th- that, that you have to really do with confidence. Uh, right. Yeah. 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 Definitely. And also like, I mean, probably in, in Ty Dolla Sign's case, How'd you get my stem? Sounds like uh, if you were to get the formula to like Coca Cola or something. It's like yeah, wait, yeah. wait. How'd you, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm, how'd you mm-hmm. get, how'd you get, how'd you get the secret sauce? Yeah, right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, as far as Kermit goes, I don't think there definitely is a secret sauce, but it's 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 obvious. It's like it's bass, drums, and guitar. Um, literally mm-hmm. anybody could do it, but the thing that makes it Krungman. Um, is the way that we do it and the approach that we take to bass, drums, guitar. And how did you guys come up with the idea to, or, or and even the actual resequencing of the tracks? Because it's a they're they're right in, they're in a different order than the original album, correct? I don't know. Is that is that true? The, uh, you the, talking about like in the order that they were released, or what? No, like the the preview that I got the the songs don't match right like the first song on the preview i got is father bird mother bird uh, oh right 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 Maybe like we did it, do it that way mm-hmm. <laughs> some somebody resequenced <laughs> the tracks at least well, on who, the preview i got my now stems and who resequenced my tracks yeah there you go that i mean that's what that's what i want to know <laughs> is the second track uh dearest alfred no, it's uh. Now you're gonna make me say "Kana Kana Asses." Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that. I mean, if we did that, then we did it on purpose. One hundred percent. You know, like a an album sequence of the original tracks, they flow a certain way, and then when you get the remixes, um, the sequence may not have made sense in the original album order. So um, you got to find another flow and And uh, in that regard too when you're picking the remixer the people to do the remixes are you trying to think of like a cohesiveness of of sound across of it like are you trying to to have it so that there is continuity between each track to some degree or is it let it roll and see what kind of vibe we can get from having a bunch of different voices added yeah I i don't think we were we were focused on a uh, a cohesiveness at all. Like we mm-hmm. just picked the people that we liked, and we know that that the uh, the people that we chose were going to have different vibes. Uh, but that's kind of what we wanted. Like um, knowledge does a particular thing. Uh, Ginger Root does a particular thing. Kaji Bonet does a thing. You know, and they're all uh, unique and special in their own ways. But when they come together. I think the common thread and the, make, the thing that makes it cohesive is that they're all Krungman songs. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's the thing that that's the common thread. Yeah. And they all have some sort of previous affiliation with your music too, right? They, you, you've either worked with them or they've worked with some of your collaborators that that was sort of an impetus of, of who you selected. Is, is that accurate? Well, or just people we liked. Um, really? Like, okay. Yeah, like Katia, we hadn't we hadn't worked with her uh, previously at all, but 
you know, we were just fascinated with the music that she was putting out. Um, I believe um, we tried to tour with her early on, but uh, it didn't work out. Uh, so we never got a chance to, you know, work with her in that regard. But um, when this came up, it was an obvious thing. But um, with Ginger Root and, uh, and Harvey, we did tour with them. We toured with Harvey in Australia, obviously, and uh, we toured with Ginger Root a few years ago. Um, so, and Ginger was another one that, um, when we went on tour with him, he did his own promo video for the tour Mm -hmm. and he did a remix of Evan finds the third room. Okay. And it was just like this 30 second video clip and Mm -hmm. it was amazing. He was like on a rooftop playing drums. He played all the instruments and it was incredible. And when we were, you know, in search of remixers, you know, that came to mind. I was like, we got to get Ginger to do something. Um, we didn't know what it would sound like, you know, what he would do, but we knew that it would be awesome, whatever he, whatever he did. Um, and when you were getting the, did all the remixes come in like one at a time or did you, were they all due at, at one date and you kind of then got them all at once? How did, how did you receive them? And what was it like experiencing your songs in this, in a new format or a new remix, I should say? Um, I mean, they all kind of came in as they were, as they, as the individual artist uh, finished them up. Okay. You know? um, and then I'm pretty sure we just like got the links and kind of individually listened to them on our own time and then came back and had a meeting and they're like, oh, I really like this. I really like this. Like, this one's totally terrible. We're not putting this out, you know. <laughs> Uh, that actually I was going to ask, do you, do you ever get ones that are, uh, you know, th- you don't have to name names, but do you ever get something that you say, Hey, this is not what we want. Um, no, that's cool. I guess yeah. that goes to, you know, picking the right people from the get go. I suppose so. I mean, uh, I w- yeah, of course I want to take all the credit for picking the right people, but like, dude, these are, these are pros and they're going to do their own thing to it. And it's, it's all about the interpretation. Like, I don't know if, I mean, I have personal things that I like and I don't like about music, but I don't know if I can really say what's good and what's not good. Sure. You know? Yeah. It's all art at the end of the day. And, you know, art is subjective. So there's no like good art and bad art. You know, <laughs> yeah, I guess I, I guess I would relate it to like when you're in the studio and you record a take that you don't want to keep, you know, right, 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 right. Like getting something that you're like, this isn't the best take on this. Right. It's it's just different. Like when it comes to, you know, remixes, doing a remix is just basically an interpretation. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, whatever that interpretation is, you know, it just is what it is. It's, it's no different than. I guess typing something something in English into Google Translate, and then whatever comes out on the other end is that's just what the interpretation is. Um, right. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you guys about your experience working with Paul McCartney um, on on McCartney Three Imagined. Um, how how did that all come about, and what was what was that experience like? Well, it's a total uh, table turn moment but yeah i mean this is just basically us on the other side of uh of the remix thing so paul kind of did the same thing he selected uh people that 
you know, he wanted the music that he was checking out and people that he wanted to uh, reimagine the songs from that album. Mm-hmm. And um, in the same process, he sent off his stems. Um, oh, so you got his stems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ah, that's, yeah. And then that's he was like, cool. how'd you get my stems? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you gotta say it in the Paul accent, man. Yeah. Hello, I, hey, I'm not doing a Paul get... accent on a, on a podcast. There's no way. <laughs> Not but, uh, but yeah, we um yeah we got the stems and um we started to play around with it um and I, the same way we kind of did like three different rough versions or directions that we wanted to go and um that was kind of the one the one that ended up coming out that's the one that we were all collectively like oh, okay this this is it this is where it's going um and the other two. You know, it doesn't mean that they were bad. It, it just didn't. They know, weren't the right takes. They weren't the ones. Yeah. 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 And to create that track, you added your own music to it, right? It was more than a remix. Is that is that how that happened? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of how we usually approach it as a band, you know, because we're not sure. a bunch. We're not a person with a laptop. So no, yeah, definitely. That works when you're when you know when you're doing it that way. It's like, well, who's going to do that? Are we all going to sit behind a laptop and press different buttons and yeah. move the faders sounds, together? Sounds really <laughs> tedious. I just don't yeah. know if that's really our vibe. So, I mean, nothing really about Krungman is especially electronic. No, you know? not at all. Yeah. So, in order for us to do this in our in our own way, we we learn the song and then we play it back a bunch of different ways um, and mm-hmm. figure out what's best. And then we start working on arrangements and then we start doing all this kind of stuff. In this particular case, we had to, um, we had to play the song to some sort of extraordinarily rigid tempo. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. as DJ was mentioning earlier, like real people don't play like a grid. Thank God, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah. in this particular yeah. case we had to, so that we could fly uh, Paul's lyrics, Paul's vocals and lyrics, wherever they needed to go. Mm-hmm. Um, that's mm-hmm. really the only, uh, thing that we did to make sure that it was, it would work inside of the electronic realm. And is that something you guys have much experience doing playing? Like I assume playing to a click like that and trying to stay rigid. No, it was the, this was the first time Chrome had ever played with the click track or a drum track. Really? Yeah. This, that's yeah. the first, um, yeah. And, and it was, is it the last? <laughs> uh, I wouldn't say it was the last. Um, I think, um, the thing that we, we had to do that because um, as we were kind of formulating where we were going, it was easier to hear uh, Paul's voice as we were, you know, kind of creating it like he was in the studio with us. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's cool. in order to do that, you have to, you know, grid it up and play to a click track. So I, I don't think we actually, we didn't actually play to like a click per se. We played to a, a drum loop that's actually in the, the thing that kicks off when the when the song first first starts that's gotcha. what that's gotcha. what we were playing along to which was freeing i think it 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 um it it takes up when you're playing with a loop it kind of takes up space in the music to where uh drum wise i don't have to do i guess as much uh because mm-hmm. that's you know that's cooking and doing it's, it's coming thing. yeah it, yeah, it, yeah 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 it's kind of like playing with a percussionist in a way uh, right so those, okay you know so it, it kind of frees you up, to, you know, just let let that do its thing. And, you know, I'm basically supporting that. 
guys just recently added some new tour dates. You've got uh, quite a bit of shows planned for the fall. Um, are you excited to get back out on the road? Is it? Uh, are you apprehensive? How's it feel to be getting back to doing things in person with people again? Um, man, it's been a long time coming. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we all got a chance to sit at home uh, during the pandemic and and really reflect and have an opportunity to miss the. Uh, you know, the, the activity of going out and playing shows and being in the same room with a large crowd of people, you know, things that we just all kind of took for granted Yes. Uh, before. But uh, yeah, now as we head back out, we head back out with the, with the new appreciation uh, for live music and social gatherings in general. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Looking forward to getting back out. And and have you played many of the songs from Mordecai live? Well, we never played them live. Yeah, aside from, right. <laughs> <laughs> from playing them on the record. Yeah. yeah. Um. So that's that's. Are have you started working on your set list and, and working those out for the for the live setting yet? We practiced back in uh, was it March? Yeah, we uh was it we March? A, yeah, yeah, yeah. We all had a. Uh, we all just kind of hung out here in Houston and um, Mark and Laura came to the house and we went and started kind of hashing out how we would play these songs live. Um, so, yeah. And do you I'm think any... we did that because it kind of shown a spotlight on things that we needed to do and things we did need to do. So, yeah. okay. Yeah. What are the, what are the types of things that you need to do? Um, memorize, you know, the songs. Uh, and now you got more lyrics right comfortable yeah exactly be very very comfortable playing the music and singing at the same time yeah so that's the hard part that's pretty that's going to be pretty new for you guys right yeah but we do have some songs that have some we have in in the previous we had some songs that had you know lyrics in there with them um and it's the same kind of thing like you just have to figure it out and figure out where your you know landmarks are and and do it that way to, to where it becomes comfortable um, mm-hmm. because like, I don't like, it's not easy for me to play guitar and sing at the same time, which is one reason why we were instrumental at first. <laughs> <laughs> are you, are you regretting the decision? <laughs> oh, kidding. every single day, every yeah. single day, <laughs> regretting putting words on anything. You could, uh, <laughs> uh you could just play backing tracks, right? <laughs> that is yeah. a big no. I kid, I kid. Of yeah. course not. Of course not. Um, well, I, I think that about wraps it, you guys. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me. Um, Thank you so much, Andy. We, uh, we're looking forward to Mordecai Remixes when it comes out on August 6th. And uh, hopefully we get to see you guys out on the road soon. And uh, if, when and if, safe travels to you both, guys. So Thank you so much. All right. Cheers. Have Thanks a good a one.
We've reached the end of this episode of the Jambase podcast. Thanks to all of you out there for listening. And thanks to Mark and DJ for taking the time to chat with me. Krungman's new album, Mordecai Remixes, comes out tomorrow, Friday, August 6th, on Dead Oceans. Thanks to Jake Alexander for helping produce the episode. We'll be back soon, so in the meantime, stay safe out there. And as always, go see live music.